Mexico. We're so grateful for you being here in our third service today. We certainly all relate to uh, things like that that happen in our lives. And we started a brand new series last week called Shine. And we're talking about finding joy in the midst of all the uncertainty that happens in our lives and all the difficulties that we, that we find that we face and challenge. Is it even possible to have joy? Is it possible for us to, to have peace of God in our lives? So we are, we are walking through this great little letter, this book of Philippians that, uh, that uh, Paul, the apostle, wrote to a group of new Christians in a church that he started in a town called Philippi. Philippi was in an area in northern Greece, which was also called Macedonia. Paul heard a vision from God, went to Macedonia, started a church there. We looked last week and saw how that great church got started. That it was actually a church that was born out of terrible circumstances in Paul's life. When Paul was thrown in prison, and we see, and we studied last week how that happened, and God used Paul to, and, uh, to just shine really before the Philippian people there, and they saw something different. So now Paul is going to write a letter to them. He is in prison. This is what is called a, a prison epistle or a prison letter, which means he wrote that while he was in prison. He wrote it while he was in chains, not in favorable circumstances in his life. It's also called a pastoral letter because Paul's not writing to them to correct any great doctrinal error like when he wrote to the Galatians or when he wrote to the Ephesians or the Corinthians. He often would have to kind of correct doctrinal issues that they were having. But this is a pastoral letter. Paul writes to this group of Christians because he was greatly concerned about their joy. They were very upset that their leader who had planted the church there, that now he was in prison. And now what Paul is going to do is he's going to say, look, look at my life. I'm in chains right now. But this whole letter that I'm going to write to you about is how you can even have joy. And I have joy even though my circumstances are not good. And we started last week's series just by talking about how that church was planted. Born out of terrible circumstances in Paul's life. God using that to, to shine in Paul's life and others wanting what Paul had. Because we live in a world that is filled with a lot of uncertainty. Amen? I mean, there's all kinds of fear. People are overwhelmed by things that are happening. And we talked last week about some of those things that just a lot of people feel like our society is just kind of spinning out of control. We use this image of this storm just raging all around us. And that it's in times where, where our world is spinning out of control. Whenever we as the church should shine the brightest. Because people are looking for some light. They're looking for some stability. They're looking for someone to demonstrate that. And, and so we asked this question last week. And I asked it as kind of a rhetorical question. But, but in every service, in all three services, I got a resounding answer. I didn't even expect it. You kind of caught me off guard. And the question was this, is when your life is falling all apart, when maybe your world around you spinning out of control, is it even possible for you to have joy? Is it possible for you to have an experience peace in your life? And whenever I asked that question, again, it was a rhetorical question last week, because it's really one that I wanted you thinking about as we go into this series and thinking about your own life. In all three services, man, we got a resounding, absolutely, yes. And again, it kind of caught me off guard when you did that because I wasn't expecting people to answer. And some of you maybe are in the midst of the storm and you have joy and that's why you could say that, that it is possible because you know that by experience. 
Some of us, though, if we're honest, we struggle with consistency of joy and peace in our lives. I know that I really do, and I confessed that to you last week. And I'll confess even some more stuff to you that I wrestle with in this area in my life. And what Paul is going to suggest in this book is he's going to suggest that no matter what our circumstances are like, and one of the things that we learned is that, is that we can still have a mindset of joy. Now, we called and talked about joy last week is not something that is just putting a fake smile on your face, right? And just laughing hysterically at the terrible times. That's not joyful. That's weird. Okay? And we've talked about the difference between these things in our life and, and how we're called to shine the brightest in these difficulties. And we talked about the things that make us shine. The thing that actually makes our faith in Christ attractive to a world around us that is filled with darkness are these characteristics like joy. Characteristics like peace, because what people need in all the uncertainty is they need a little bit of light, right? I mean, it's like they're stumbling through, and we talked about it last week, like this great haunted house that they're going through. And what's scary is not the things that they see in the light, because we realize those things are just kind of goofy things. But the scariest part for me going through a haunted house was, was the darkness and all the uncertainty that went along with that. People need a little bit of light in our lives today. And, and, and they're, they're joyless. Often people are unhappy. They're peaceless. They're searching. They're looking for light in the middle of all the uncertainty. So we did a bit of an introduction. We discussed the basic differences between joy and happiness. And what does that mean? And, and one of you even caught me after the third service last week. And, and, and we talked a little bit about this, not only in the service, but afterwards. We discovered that happiness is based upon present circumstances, that it comes from that word hap, that it uses that word hap, that means there may even be a chance that's involved in it. You may, by chance, just be happy because of favorable circumstances in your life, but for the most part, we're always going to go through some kind of difficulty because the world's broken. Relationships get broken. One of you told me last week as we talked about this, you said you'd, you'd kind of heard it this way, that that joy and happiness are different in this sense, that happiness is synthetic, that it's not something that's real, that it's something that's kind of manufactured, it's synthetic, that it's something that can be bought. It's something that's even short-lived because, again, it's contingent upon what's happening around you, what's going on around you. Joy, though, and we really dug in on this last week and got just kind of built a theology of joy. Joy is something that's based upon an eternal relationship and the confidence that we have in the person of Jesus Christ being in our life, and here's a key in this, and trusting in, in what's called His sovereignty, and that God is sovereign over all things, in all circumstances in our life, that God can even use difficulties in our life to bring for purposes to bring glory to Himself, and, and, and that whenever we understand there can actually be meaning and purpose in our difficulties you know, it, we realize this, that it's not synthetic, it's real. It's not something that's for sale, it can't be bought. It's something that's eternal. So we kind of built this theology of joy last week and based upon God's word. I had another, heard another pastor put it this way and we shared this last week and I'm giving you a little recap. By the way, if you missed the message last week, you can go online and listen to it and kind of get caught back up as we talk about how the church got started in Acts chapter 16. But, but this is what true joy really is. True joy... Is a, we talked about it this way, that it's a gift from God. And so it's something that's been offered to us as believers. 
Something that we have to choose to receive by faith in our life, just as we receive our salvation by faith. He says it's, it's a gift from God to those who believe the gospel being produced in them by the Holy Spirit. So we talked last week about how it's not something that's man-made or manufactured, but it's the Holy Spirit's work within you and within me to produce this kind of joy in my life. Now here is, that's God's part, now here is our part. As the believer receives and obeys the word of God. So as we receive the word of God in our life, now, okay, we gain a knowledge about it. Now we must choose to begin to obey that. To obey it and to, to enact it in our lives, to live that out. And that's whenever we begin to experience joy in these circumstances. And now here's what it also we discovered. It's mixed with trials. We'd never know what true joy was if we didn't experience a measure of trials and difficulties in our life. And what it also does, and we broke each of these little phrases down, and it sets our hope on future glory. It sets our hope on a future glory. And so we understand also as a child of God that this isn't all that there is. That there's more to this life than just our present circumstances. And so it sets our hope on that. So what we saw in the video just a few minutes ago are what would be common joy robbers in our lives. You know, and again, we kind of snicker at that. And some, some of the services this morning laughed a little more than others. I don't know why. But the second service was kind of roaring at that video. And I'm thinking that they related a lot to it, okay? And we all can relate to just different things in our lives. And what I love about this great book is that Paul would bring up those joy robbers that you just saw in that video. In this great practical little book, he's going to bring up some of those very things relationship issues. He's going to bring up all kinds of different things. And it's intensely practical. And, and Paul's going to discuss it. And we're going to spend a few weeks really digging in on this book. And so here are some common joy robbers. These are the things that Paul will bring up in this book that we'll study together, okay? He's going to bring up people in our lives. He's going to talk about how people, and we'll come, we're going to spend our time on that today, how people can end up being a joy robber in our life. He's going to talk about, about plans and how whenever our plans get kind of off track and, and things don't exactly turn out the way that we have maybe had them in our mindset. And he's going to talk about possessions and how possessions, those kinds of possessions, they come and go. And if you're banking on possessions to bring you happiness, so to speak, or joy in your life, you're going to be greatly disappointed. Now, I struggled with coming up with another P word, okay, so I came up with circumstances. So I apologize but my wife told me in the last service, she said, I've got a great one for you. She said, how about this? Poop happens. And I said, honey, that's undignified, all right? But it is the same, it is the same mentality, all right? And, uh, and so we've got these kinds of things that happen in our lives. Paul is going to say this. He's going to say, listen, if you're so attached to people bringing you all the joy in your life, you're going to be greatly disappointed because Paul's, Paul would say in many of his letters that he had a struggle with individuals. People had left him, had abandoned him. People had deserted him. Many people had hurt him. In fact, he was being hurt as he was writing this. Uh, he had been, you know, it had been very easy for Paul to become bitter, okay? His plans certainly, again, were not working out the way that he had in his mind. He probably had it all, knowing the kind of personality that he had, probably had it all worked out in his mind where he was going to go from here to here to here in his missionary journeys. And now he finds himself bound in a prison jail. And he's just, his plans were wrecked. And yet he still chose to believe that God was in control. I bet he had some difficulty with that at some points, though. 
Maybe for you, something has not gone according to the plans that you had in your life. And you're kind of sitting here and your plans have been messed up in some way. And things haven't worked out for you the way that you hoped. And, and you know, and, and again, Paul, it would have been very easy for him to get discouraged. In chapter 3, he's going to talk about losing his possessions. He's going to say, in fact, in chapter 3, and we'll look at it in the coming weeks, I have lost everything for the gospel of Christ. I've lost everything. And then in the final chapter, he's going to talk about his circumstances. In chapters 1 and chapter 4, he's going to say, My circumstances are not good, and yet I'm still joyful. I'm still rejoicing. Paul's not just going to preach this to them. He's not just going to tell them, look, just get over it or whatever. What Paul is going to do is he's going to say, I want you to look at my life and the example of my life and see where I am finding a joy that is a lasting kind of joy. And so he's going he's gonna to speak about this to this. This is the great message of this, of this book and the great message to these people in these, these short four chapters that, listen, people are going to fail you. Your plans are going to fail you. Your possessions are not going to last. Your circumstances are not always going to be favorable. And yet Paul is going to show us that these ever-shifting things in our lives don't necessarily have to affect our joy. And again, when I asked that last week, many of you said, Amen, I believe that. The problem is that we often struggle with living this. And the consistency. I confess to you a struggle that I have with this being consistent in my life. So Paul's going to start with, and I don't think it's by accident that he starts with talking about people. He's going to talk about some people in his life. And, and here is one thing that I can confess to you, and many of you were late to this, is that whenever relationships with people are not right, that is indeed one of the greatest joy robbers in our lives. Amen? When we get strained relationships and things aren't going right with people around us and you know, in fact, I've asked this in every service today. How many of you would just be really honest and just say, you know what, Pastor Bart, I'm going to be honest, and this is what we really value here is transparency. Is, is just, you know, I'm really, I, I have some strained relationships in my life. Um, things aren't exactly going great. I'm kind of strained. They stress me out, robs me of my joy. I'll just be honest. That's kind of me. I raise my hand. How many of you would raise your hands and say, that's you? There are some of you that are going, dude, I cannot raise my hand. I can't believe you're asking that question. You're doing this, right? You know, you know, kind of the person... <laughs> You know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything about that, you know, and, um, but we're just, you know, but, but the reality is what I, the reason I'm asking that question is because I want you to look around and I want you to see, and it's this way in every service this morning, many, many hands have gone up because this is a great joy robber in our life. What did we say last week? We said last week that if, and I was saying that if I were the enemy, and I was wanting to, to rob God of His glory, and I was wanting to, to keep people from coming to know Jesus Christ, I would work very hard at being sure that your light does not shine. I would do everything within my power to rob you of your joy and to snuff out the light that God wants you to shine in your community or where you work or where you go to school. I would work at it hard to try to snuff out your light if I were the enemy. And so, again, we've got to under... I want you to see that this is something that many people in our church are dealing with and uh, that, that, that we're struggling with this issue. We all struggle with issues of relationships because people just aren't perfect. We're not perfect. We're still flawed. 
Yes, we're being, we're being sanctified and being made to be more like Jesus Christ. And that is still, God is still at work in us. But we say dumb things. We hurt one another by dumb things that we say, dumb things that we do. There's no doubt, and I'm just telling you, there's no doubt when I look back on some of the darkest moments in my life where my joy has just been gone or my peace has been robbed from me, I'm going to tell you some of the darkest moments have been where I have had messed up relationships where I was at odds with another person and I was angry or maybe even bitter. And, you know, and I don't know about you, maybe you really relate to that and and you would say that's been some of the things that have caused some of the, the darkest moments in your life as well is when your relationships were fouled up, when there was something that was messed up in your life. Maybe someone that you trusted really burned you. Maybe they went back on their word on something and you're just really, that hurt you deeply. And you know what I've discovered? Hope and I were talking about this this week. My wife Hope and I, we were talking about it. And we were talking about some of the times where we kind of had gone through some things like that and some of the pain that was associated with that. And and she'd even kind of gone through some things recently where somebody kind of had hurt her and we were talking about it. And I was talking about some of the hurt that I'd experienced You know, we were just kind of visiting about that in relation to the series because I was asking her some questions and just what she thought about what we were talking about. You know what? We just kind of sat there and we were just visiting. We came to the place of saying this, that people are definitely always going to let you down. Amen? I mean, it's just going to happen in our lives. People are always going to mess you over in some kind of way. Somebody, And that's not to turn you into a cynical person. Here is what we kind of, where this conversation led that we were talking about. And we, because people are always going to mess us up in some kind of way or mess us over or hurt us in some kind of way, we all have some kind of choice. There's always going to be an opportunity to be bitter towards someone in our life for something that they have done to us. Every one of us has that opportunity in some kind of way. Some of you are dealing with it now. Some of you, maybe it's something that's happened in your past. Maybe you're going through it right now. If you haven't gone through it, you will go through it, students, where somebody's going to hurt you in some kind of way. Every person has an opportunity to be bitter about something. Everybody does. And it all boils down to our choices and the choices that we're going to make in our mindset regarding the hurt that happens. Now, Paul is going to begin to really talk about uh, some of the struggles that he has had in relationships. Now, not only in the book of Philippians, um, he could have focused in on this, and we'll see that he really didn't, but in other books that he wrote, you'll find that Paul had some broken relationships. He had some things that happened in relationships that were disappointing to him. There were times that Paul felt really betrayed. There were times that he felt alone. Times that he felt abandoned. And and I believe that Paul really must have had to make an intentional effort to focus in on the good in people. Again, remember when he's writing this, he's writing this and he's probably hearing the rattle of the chains of people who had hurt him at that moment. And yet he's going to write some of the things we're about to read here in just a minute. It's interesting how easily we can focus all of our attention in on maybe some hurt in our life that has happened. And forget about all the good that maybe God has blessed us with with, with good people around us. I'm, I'm, I can be one of the worst about this. And again, I, I just really want to just be honest with you how I struggle with this particular issue. 
Um, I might, and I've got a little bit of people pleaser in me. It's getting better than it used to be. But I might hear from several of you how God's really just speaking to you and working in your life and, and how, the God, how God has used me, you know, to maybe be a blessing to you and your family. I'll hear that. Or maybe someone will say, boy, the series is really touching me in a great way. Thank you, Pastor Bart, for preaching the truth, preaching the word. And I might hear that, and I feel really good about that, and I'm encouraged by that, and it emboldens me to preach more of the truth of the gospel and then, and there may be one person, because again, we all have different opinions about things. We have different, you know, kind of ways we approach things. I might have one individual that comes to me and maybe they didn't like something that I said, or they took offense at something, or maybe they wrote me a nasty note, or maybe they, maybe they sent me an email that they didn't like this. And they maybe thought I was trying to be hurtful to them, or I let them down in some kind of way. And it's really interesting, and again, I confess this to you, how I can zero in on one critical thing and just completely forget about all the goodness that God has blessed me with around me. Does anybody else do that? Okay, am I the only one that needs counseling in that way? Okay, all right. We, we, all, we struggle with that, right? There's always going to be an opportunity to be bitter towards somebody and there's always going to be, you know, somebody that's going to let you down. There's always going to be someone that's going to be critical of you in some kind of way and we can choose to focus in on that and that can end up robbing us of our joy and it just can end up being the driving thing of our life if we're not careful. So let's look in God's Word in Philippians. I'm going to read, I'm going to read this in the NLT uh, today. Um, and we're going to look in the Scripture here and draw some practical truths out of our own lives of how we can begin to, to find some joy and uncertainty in our life. Look what Paul's going to say in Philippians chapter 1. Let's start in verse 1. He's going to say this letter. This letter is from Paul and Timothy. Timothy was a great son in the ministry to him that was a great encouragement to Paul. And now, Timothy didn't write this letter. Paul wrote the letter. But Timothy was used greatly in Paul's life in very dark times. Now, this is what it says. This is from Paul and Timothy. So there's your servants of God. All right? Now, he's going to say, and he's, notice how he's going to describe themselves. He's going to say, we are slaves of Christ Jesus. The word slaves is the Greek word doulos. And, and, and it's important. A lot of times, we'll get to the salutation and we'll just skip over it. Okay? But there's some value in what Paul is writing here. Every word of God is inspired. And he specifically chose this word doulos. The word literally means bond servant of Christ. He's a bond servant. And say, what's a bond servant? If you look in your Old Testament, you'll find that a bond servant was someone who was a slave, who was a slave against their, or a servant was someone who was a slave against their will, but their master set them free. They were now free to go and do whatever they wanted to do. They didn't have to serve that person anymore. But a bond servant was someone who loved and respected and was loyal to their master to such an extent that they said, even though you have set me free, I'm still going to be your servant and your slave for life. And so what they would do in the Old Testament, they would take that servant, they would take his earlobe, they would draw an all through that. And so there would be actually a symbol, physical, visible symbol, that when people saw that slave, they would know that person is a servant to that master because they want to be, not because they have to be. And so what Paul is saying, remember, he's in prison. Remember, he's in chains. And he's saying, I'm not a bond servant to Rome. <laughs> he didn't say that. I'm not a bond servant to you Philippians. Although you're wonderful people, I'm not a bond servant to any particular denomination. What does he say? I am a bond servant of whom? Christ Jesus. You see, he's remembering why he's doing what he's doing. 
Because if you serve in any kind of ministry in our church or somewhere else or whatever, you know, a lot of times we attach what we do to maybe another person's approval. And we think about, you know, another person, you know, and what they think about what we're doing. Or maybe we're trying to please another person. And, you know, and in fact, we attach our, when we attach ourselves to another person and we attach our ministry to the, the opinion of another person, you are going to be hurt and you're going to be disappointed because people are going to have different opinions than you have. But when you remember, when you serve, that you do what you do out of love and loyalty for Christ, you're going to find your joy is going to be maintained in the midst of that. And rather than doing it for the approval of people, when it's for the approval of people, you will go astray. When it's for, whenever, if, whenever it's for the Lord, when you evaluate your life and you evaluate your ministry, you evaluate that based upon what Christ, your master, thinks of your service, you're not going to go astray because you know where you stand with him. There's no uncertainty in that. Service to Christ is the perfect freedom. Paul's going to say, I'm not a bondservant to Rome. It's almost like a little stick in the eye to Rome. It's almost like he's saying, they may have me in chains, but they can't take my joy. They may have me in chains, but I'm still a servant of Jesus Christ. And I always will be, and I always will be joyful. Now look at what he's going to say. I am writing, he says, I am writing to all of God's, what does he say, church? All of God's holy people. All right, in another translation, that is the saints of God. So you have the servants, Paul and Timothy. Now you've got the people that he's writing to who are the saints of God. I had a pastor friend of mine say it like this. There are saints and there are ain'ts. Either you're a saint or you're not, okay? And what makes you a saint is not how good you are. We are saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ. It is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man boast. You are a saint of God, not because some guys with big hats in certain denominations declare you a saint. You are a saint of God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been imputed to your account and you, and you and I, we were not worthy of that, but by God's grace, we're made saints. Amen. Aren't you glad to know that? Okay. So you're a saint of God. And he says, the holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's going to say, may he give you, say it with me, church, may he give you grace and what else? And peace. You see, when you understand and actualize your, God's grace in your life, do you know what that's going to produce in your life? Peace and, and joy and these other things that come along. So, let's, so you've got the servants. You have these saints in this great salutation. He's going to say in, in verse 3. Now he's going to, let's really dig into this passage. Every time I think of you, I give, what does he do? I give thanks to my God. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, and we'll break that down in a minute. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with, say it with me, church, for all of you with joy, okay? For you have been my partners in spreading the gospel or the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain, listen to the language that he used, I am certain or confident that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Verse 7. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. All of you. Does this mean that all the people in Philippi in that church were perfect and had it all together and had all been good to Paul? No. Okay. For you have a special place in my heart. 
You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news of the gospel. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Now, I really want you to zero in on verse 10. For I want you to understand, what does it say? What really matters? What have we learned around here at EBC based upon Scripture? What is it that really matters most in our lives? Our relationships, right? Our relationships first with with God. That's got to be first. And then our relationships with others. Those are the things that are going to last. It's not the stuff. It's not the circumstances. So it's not by accident that Paul starts in talking to them about their joy and their struggle with joy in saying, I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. What is the fruit of your salvation? It's the fruit of the Spirit. What do we know is the fruit of the Spirit? It's what? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I know who's been going to Sunday school, right? Okay? All right? You know that. When we start that, we begin to say that. That's what those characteristics are in our life that make us shine. That's what makes us difference, as Paul would say in chapter 2, in this crooked and perverse world in which we live, where we are to be shining like stars, is what he's going to say, and we'll break that down in the coming weeks. And so Paul's going to say this. In other words, when the fruit of the Spirit is on display in our lives, that's when we shine the most. Look at, look at this next part, okay? And then we're going to start breaking this down for a few moments. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. Now read the next part with me out loud. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. In other words, that's what's going to cause you to shine. That's what's going to make you different. But as a believer, if we are not any different than the rest of the world in the way that we handle problems, or we're not any different in the, than the rest of the world when a crisis comes into our city like Ebola, or, or the way that we look at situations like ISIS, you know, and how if there's all of this fear and uncertainty, and, and we are in a panic the way that the rest of the world seems to panic. Listen, that's, that's the enemy that's able to snuff out our light. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different in such a way that whenever our world is spinning out of control, you remember we talked about that storm and how in the eye of that storm there's that calm and there's something that it almost, it just, as Paul would describe it, it doesn't make sense to a person that doesn't know Christ. It's a peace that passes all human understanding. That's what, that's what causes us to shine. But if, if we are just like the world and we're going around all the time and we are anxious all the time and we are stressed out and we're angry and we're bitter and we're worrying and we're fretting and we're joyless and we're peaceless and we're short with each other and we're selfish and we're harsh. By the way, that's all the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit that I'm mentioning to you, okay? If we're doing all of those kinds of things, then you need to know that the enemy has successfully and effectively snuffed out our light. 
So we've got to examine that. We've got to examine that in our lives. And he's going to start with these relationships. And so let's start with that in our own life. Let's see if I want to experience some joy in relationships that's found there. Then here are some things that we have to do. I'm going to give you some very practical things that Paul points out. Number one, here's something good to write down, is I have to look for and be grateful for the good in people. And sometimes we've got to get really creative, right? Okay? To look for and find it. Sometimes you've got to get really creative to find that because, again, people are going to let you down. But you've got to look for it. You've got to look for it. And you've got to even choose to be grateful for the good in people. Look at what he says in verse 3. Every time I think of you, he says, I give thanks to my God. And so what I take from that is that this became a discipline. This was a choice that Paul made. Rather than dwelling upon all the negativity in his life and dwelling upon all the negative experiences even that he had had in Philippi, he says, no, every time I think about you, I'm going to choose to give thanks to my God. You have to make a choice and intentionally focus in on the good in people in your life instead of focusing in on all the ways that you've been disappointed by people. Remember what we said a few moments ago? Every one of us here could choose to be bitter about something. Every one of us here. Some of you have bigger things that have happened in your lives than others. There's no doubt. I'm not saying everyone's been through the same stuff. But we all could get bitter about something. We all could get and live our lives as a bitter human being, bitter about something in a, in a real way that we've been hurt. And Now, in the ESV, it's going to translate this way. I thank God in all my remembrance of you. In all my remembrance, so he's going to choose to dwell upon and remember the good things about some of the good people that God had blessed him with. People like Timothy, people as, we'll, as we read about last week, like Lydia, people who, who God used to plant that church there. Um, people, you know, like the Philippian jailer. And so the question for us is, what about us? Am I the kind of person that focuses in mainly on the negativity in the way that I've been hurt? Or do I choose to find some good in others around me? You know, I gotta, I've said this in all three services, and this isn't in my notes, but I really got to thinking about this this morning. My son, Luke, who's sitting right up here, my son, Luke, is, is one who, at certain times, God has used him really to bring conviction in my life because Luke is the kind of person that finds the good in everybody. And I'll be like, and I have a tendency, just being honest, I might have a tendency to go the other way a little bit, okay? I can be a little more cynical, and my personality can be... I can, I can certainly find the bad in people really quick, okay? Anybody else relate to that? I find that quick, and, and I, might, I might start kind of saying something and speaking some negativity about something or whatever, and there have been many occasions where Luke has said, Dad, you don't know what's going on in that person's life? And I've been like, shut up. <laughs> and, and, and he said things like that. Or we don't know. Maybe his, maybe her husband was really mean to her today. Or maybe that, maybe that person that was rude to you in the checkout line. Maybe they're having a really bad day. Or maybe this, and I'm just like, wow. You know what God has done with my own son? He has has brought that about in his life that it shines before me. And I see that, and I and I want to be more like that, and I want to have more of this tendency to focus and find the good. I'm not saying he's perfect in that, but he's he certainly has been used by God in that in a number of ways. And, and you know, there's this tendency that we have to zero in on the negative. There's this tendency we have to to just really only remember all the hurt. 
And that's what Paul could have done. To where we almost can become obsessed thinking so much about how often and how much we've been hurt. How much hurt someone has caused in your life. Listen, there's no question they have hurt you. And we're not minimizing that. We're not saying to you today, hey, just get over it. That's not what Paul is saying. We're not trying to just kind of minimize it and make you feel bad about the way someone else has hurt you. Listen, what what I really believe Paul's trying to do is he's trying to say, don't let that stuff rob you of what God has for you, which is joy. Amen? You're letting that stuff, you're you're not hurting them by being bitter. You're tearing yourself up. You're bound in chains by that bitterness. And we all have something we could be bitter about. He's not saying just get over it. What he probably is saying to us is you've got to learn to grow from it. To grow through it. To get through it. And to not have so much to where you're just focusing in on that negativity so much that you've held on to it that the end result is that you have completely lost your joy. Thus, you are no longer shining for Christ. Thus, you're not any different than the rest of the world. He's saying, you've got to grow, man. You've got to grow in some kind of way and be different. You need to grow through this. You need to realize that, that we serve a sovereign God. And you sang this earlier just right along with me, that God, you make all things Work together for my good, right? Boy, that was good, wasn't it? You make all things work together for my good. That is scripture. Did you know that? That you are singing. It is scripture. It didn't say all things were good. But the God, our God is the kind of God who can take all kinds of things, even hurt that someone has inflicted upon you in your life. And Paul would say, you make all things work together for my good. And I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to grow, and I'm going to let it go. You see, we need to remember Paul had not had an easy time in Philippi. If you remember, you were here last week, you'll know that he was beaten while he was there for preaching the gospel. He was thrown in prison illegally. He was, he was beaten to, nearly to death. He was put in a dungeon in a jail that was probably dark and cold and damp and just, you know, um, I imagine all kinds of horrendous situations that were in there. He was humiliated. He was put in stocks. The people of Philippi had not been good to Paul initially. And it would have been really easy for Paul to become bitter towards all of those people in Philippi and and just really, you know, just hate them. If anybody could have grown bitter, the Apostle Paul had a perfect reason to, right? Because again, beaten all the time, betrayed, all these horrible things that happened in terrible circumstances in his life. And he's serving Jesus and he's, and he's pre- preaching the gospel. And, and listen again, he says, when I think of you, I remember the good. I'm going to remember the good things. I thank God every time I remember you. He could have dwelt upon the negative. He could have remembered the painful memories. He could have said all Philippian people are jerks. But he didn't. He said, I'm going to remember people like Lydia. I'm going to remember the Philippian jailer. I'm going to remember these people that, that, that God has used in, in my life to just be a blessing. And I'm going to let them know what a blessing they've been. That's what he's doing. He's letting them know. He's communicating to them. He's speaking to them in this letter. A few years ago, I went through one of the darkest times in my life. 
And man, I'm telling you, I was struggling. I was struggling, and and it, and I'm going to tell you what caused it. Part of it, or it was just really, it was a big. It, it was it was what led to some discouragement, which led to really feeling just some despair. And as I've been very honest with our church about this, I went through a period of depression in my life. And you know what? One of the big points of that depression was one of the catalysts. It was a broken relationship. Anybody else been through that? Say pastors have broken relationships. Yes, we do. We are not perfect people and we get we say dumb things and we hurt one another and we, you know, and, and I went through the brokenness of a relationship and a friendship. And by the way, I was talking to Hope about this this week. She said, be really clear that that is not me that you are speaking about. Okay. And uh, she said, be really clear about that. And so I want to just let you know that it was not with my wife there, but um, that, that happens. And without going into any details, let me just say that it was one of the darkest times in my life because the, the part that was most difficult for me was I, I don't doubt the fact that I had done something to hurt this person or said something stupid or whatever. Maybe it was a combination of things. The most difficult part for me is that they wouldn't tell me what I had done. And I had gone to them on because I could tell that the relationship wasn't right. And I'd gone to them on a few times trying to be biblical about it. What did I, what did I do to offend you? And they wouldn't, they wouldn't share it with me, but it was obvious. And finally, at one point, I mean, just the relationship just really started going south. I started getting bitter. I started thinking about some ways that they had hurt me. And, you know, and I'm like, you know, if you want to play that game, I, you know, I can bring that up. And that's how we start getting into it, right? And I can dig up some of the past. You've not been perfect either in this. And it just, just this relationship, just this friendship was really strained. And it sent me into a tailspin because it was with a really close friend. And I don't even know what happened. The part, again, that bugged me the most was that I was trying everything within my power, in all honesty, and I wasn't perfect, but in all honesty, in all of my power, I was trying to fix it. You know, there's some lessons to be learned in that, is that sometimes you can do everything in your power to try to fix it, and it still doesn't get fixed. God has to fix those kinds of things. And so I'd gone to this person, and again, it just it sent me in a tailspin. And I got really discouraged and my joy was robbed and I became incredibly obsessed with the brokenness of that friendship where that's like almost all I could think about. And I would be obsessed with trying to fix that and try to make it right. I'd try this and that and, you know, and, 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 and my wife and, and my daughter were in the last service and Luke's in this service. I'm sure at that point in, in our family that, 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 that it was very difficult to be around me at that point. Randy told Trinity that was a great time for her to say amen in the last service, all right? Because whenever, whenever we focus so much on the negative, we start becoming negative, and we start becoming bitter, and then we start becoming harsh with those around us that they start becoming the objects of our scorn, right? And we take it out on people that don't have anything to do with it. And at some point, I finally had to make a decision to put my faith into practice and to, and to do something that I had preached a lot about right up here from this pulpit. Are you ready for what it is? Forgiveness. Man, forgiveness is easy to preach about. But it is hard to live. And there are so many things that I could say about that. You know, I had to choose to forgive this person even though they never even asked for it. Even though they didn't want it, they didn't want to have anything to do with me, they kind of wrote me off as well. But I had to choose to 
to really forgive some of that hurt and just let that go. Now, I'm going to tell you the relationship has not been restored completely. I wish that it were, but it's not. You can continue to pray that God will work in that in some way. But, but listen, what I learned from that is at some point I have to choose, and, and really forgiveness is something I have to choose to do every single day because the enemy will use it to bring it back up in my mind and then I'll start rehearsing the negative tapes instead of remembering that I forgave that debt in my life and I'll start rehearsing the negative tapes and I'll start having conversations with that person, you know, and they're not even there. And uh, does anybody else do that or am I the only one that needs counseling for that? Hope has walked out on the back porch and I'm talking to that person. She's like, you're talking to so-and-so, aren't you? You know, she's caught me. And, and we start focusing so much in on that. And the, again, forgiveness on my part didn't mean that the relationship went back to being perfectly restored. But what it was for me was that it was, it was a releasing of that and me choosing to move forward. And growing through it and growing in it and continuing to pray for that but releasing it into God's hands. When I sing, I surrender all, you know what that also means? I surrender all of my grudges. That's a tough one, amen? I surrender some, right? No, I surrender all. I surrender some, that's what we like to sing. Would you even be willing to surrender your grudges? I'm just going to tell you that if you won't, you're not going to have the joy of God in your life. That light gets snuffed out. At some point, you've got to choose to let it go. The lesson learned from this is you've got to choose to remember the best and forget the rest. You've got to choose to remember the best and forget the rest. Paul appreciated the people in, in the Philippian church. It had been so good to him. And he wanted to let them know about them and and who is it that maybe you need to choose to remember that's been good to you in your life, that's, that's been a blessing to you, that walked in maybe when everyone else walked out. Maybe it was somebody at work or, or a friend or a husband or a wife or maybe they didn't do anything spectacular, but they stepped in when it seemed like everyone else was bailing on you. See, sometimes we need to, uh, we need to remember the ones that have stayed rather than the ones that left. Amen? Because we can forget about them. Because we're so focused in on someone else that hurt us. And then we rob the people who God has placed in our life of expressing our gratitude and our love and our joy for them. We rob them. Remember the best. Forget the rest. Here's something else. Pray for the people in our life. We've got to pray for the people who are in our lives. If you want to find joy, you've got to start praying for people. Whenever I pray, he says, whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with, what does he say? With joy. And so prayer is a key to joy. Praying for people is a key for joy in our life. Paul himself, remember, was in great pain when he wrote this. He was in prison. He was hurting, but praying for other people begins to take our focus off of our problems and all of the hurt that we have experienced in our lives. And now we begin to, to place our focus on Christ and on others. I heard another pastor say it this way, that joy is this. It's Jesus, it's others, and then it's yourself. 
And if you flip that around and it's all about you and all your problems and all the struggles in your life, you need to understand that you're not going to be a joyful person. But when he said, I want you to remember what matters the most, your relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what matters. I want you to remember your relationship with others and praying for other people. And then he's going to start talking about some of his problems. He's going to start talking about some of the the difficulties. But Paul is going to shift all of his thoughts off of himself onto praying for other people. Here's Here's a lesson that we take from this passage. The quickest way, the quickest way to change a relationship from bad to good is to start thanking God in prayer for the people that he has placed in your life. You know, this is very appropriate as we're going into the Thanksgiving season. And we don't just thank God only on Thanksgiving, but we live with an attitude of Thanksgiving, thanking God for the people that he's put in our life. And, and, and the circumstances as you're praying, they may not change. The person may not change that you're praying for. But you know what begins to happen when you start praying for somebody? Your attitude starts to change. Your attitude starts changing as you start engaging God, maybe about a person, maybe they've even hurt you. When you say, I'll pray for you, what do we tend to, we have a tendency to say, well, I'll just kind of pray, you know, maybe some just very general things. God just bless them. I want you to notice Paul doesn't say, God just bless bless these Philippians and just move on. Look, he's going to get very specific in prayer. He's going to say in verse 9, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. He's going to pray for their love. I pray that you will keep on growing and in knowledge and your understanding. For I want you to understand, again, what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. And now he's going to say, and may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the fruit of the Spirit, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. Again, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. That's going to make you shine. That's how he's praying for people. So here's some things to write down just very quickly. How should I be praying for people? Pray that they grow in love. Start praying for for people in your life that they grow in love. And Paul would describe love, agape love, this way in 1 Corinthians, that their love would overflow. It would be the kind of love that has patience. It's not proud. It's, It's kind. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes. He says that kind of love in 1 Corinthians, he says that never fails. That's what we got to be praying for people, that they grow in love. He says, pray that they make wise choices. He's going to say, I pray that you will grow in knowledge and understanding. We should be praying for the people in our lives, that they make wise choices, that they'll have discernment as they grow closer to God. He's going to say, pray that they'll do the right thing. He's going to say that they would be pure and blameless, that they'd have a clear conscience. He's going to say, pray that they will be filled with the fruit of their salvation. In other words, that their experience would be the fruit of the Spirit in their life and that people would see that. That's how we're to begin praying. Notice very specifically he's praying for these Philippian believers. Another important factor and the final thing I want to share with you this morning, now this afternoon, is in praying for people, this is what he's going to say next as he's praying this for them. This is what we take is that we have to be patient with the progress of others. We have to be patient in the progress of those that we're praying for. Paul looked at these people's future, not just their past. 
He looked at their potential and he was patient in their progress. Look at what he says in verse 6. And I am certain or confident that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. In other words, Paul says, what God starts, God's going to finish. And here are some lessons that we take from this passage here. The Bible says when Jesus starts to work in a person's life, that he will complete what, it's, what he has started in spite of my, my hang-ups and my faults and my bad decisions and my sins, in spite of all the circumstances that are happening in my life and all the hurts with people, I know this, that God's going to finish what he started in my life. Here's a lesson that we need to learn from this. God is not finished with people. Amen? Aren't you glad that God's not finished with you? Aren't you glad that God is patient with you in the same manner that he's patient with me? Amen? So here's what we learn from this church. We're not to give up on people because God never gives up on anybody. He never gives up. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that the relationship is always going to be exactly the same. But we're not to give up on people. God's still working in things even when you can't see. In your marriage, if you want to enjoy your marriage, you've got to learn to enjoy your husband or your wife right now while allowing for growth and allowing for development and realizing that God's not finished with them. Amen? God's still working. There's patience in the progress Parents, this is how we learn to be better parents, by realizing that there's a process that's happening with our kids. We're patient in the process, patient with people that we work with, patient with people we go to school with. We're basically coming back to the fact that nobody is perfect and that we all are going to fail somebody and one another in certain ways. But Paul says this, I'm going to enjoy you Philippians because he, he chose to ignore all the hardship that he had faced there and he focused in on the good that God had brought in his life through them. You want something to change your attitude. You know what? Start praying for that person that irritates you at work. It begins to change us. Start praying for your spouse. Start praying for that child. Start praying for these. It begins to change our attitude. Paul said he's certain or confident. Now notice this. That God who began the good work... That God would finish it. What that tells me is that we don't have the power to change people. God is the one who transforms lives. Amen? We keep praying that for them. I want to ask you just to go ahead and if you will, just will you bow with me in prayer? This is a great promise of God. A great prayer that we've learned from Paul. The common mistake that so many of us will make is that we have a tendency to judge people on the basis of how far they still have to go rather than how far they have come. Start thinking about that and what God is doing in the lives of people around you. How's God really speaking to you today? How's He speaking to you about your patience with others? Is it, you know, it's hard to be joyful when your patience is always thin. Ask God to begin to give you more patience with the people around you. Maybe you're the one that is messed up somehow. This verse should encourage you because what you learn from this is you can be reminded of this amazing truth that God's not finished with you either. But He's still working. Life is too short not to be thankful for the people that He's placed in our lives. Paul starts this great book by dealing with the most common killjoy 
which is broken relationships and how he's going to choose to thank God for these people. People can rob you of your joy unless you learn how to respond the way that Paul did, the way that Jesus did. How's God speaking to you today? Maybe you, that one that has just focused in on someone who's hurt you in the past and you are missing out on all the blessings and have forgotten about all the people that God has blessed you with that greatly love you. Maybe you've become difficult even to be around because you're so, you've been so obsessed with, with that brokenness and that past relationship that you've just kind of just kind of forgotten about who you need to be thankful for now. You know, Paul wrote a thank you letter to these people in Philippi. Maybe that would be what God would lead you to do this week as an action Maybe you would just write a thank you note to somebody that God would bring to your mind that he has used in your life, who stayed with you, who stuck, stuck with you, stood by you in the difficult times, and you would just say, I'm just so thankful for that. When's the last time you told someone thank you? Maybe you gave them a kind word. You know, this week someone wrote me a thank you letter that came at just the right time said, we're so grateful for you and for this church and the staff. Our family and our lives have been forever changed. Do you know how much that encouraged me this week? Who do you need to encourage like that? That's what Paul was doing. He was encouraging them. Who might you begin to bring joy into their life? Are you praying for people around you? Are you thanking God for them? Who do you need to be patient with? There are some of you that maybe you have never come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and right now you know that the Holy Spirit has been drawing you to him and you would just say right now Jesus come into my life and be my savior Lord I need you I want you to save me I don't even maybe even understand it all but I Lord I want you in my life and I believe you are the Messiah save me Jesus and sisters today, for myself, that we would find our joy in you. God, make our light shine in this world of uncertainty. May people see the fruit of the Spirit in us, that love and the joy and the peace and patience. May that be the characteristics that they hunger for.